is Diagnosis Glaucoma with your hosts, Dr. Mona Colleen and Dr. Harry Quigley. We're glad to have all of you back for this focused discussion on open angle glaucoma. For those of you who are just joining us, we recommend that you go back and listen to episode five, where we review the basics of the angle. It will help you to understand what we're targeting when we treat glaucoma. Open angle glaucoma is an interesting disease, and you're probably listening to us because you or a member of your family have it. It's a disorder where the main nerves in the back of the eye, the nerves that connect your eye to your brain and tell the brain what the eye is seeing, die. Those nerve cells, the retinal ganglion cells, die for a variety of reasons, for a variety of things that are wrong and different in the eye of the person with open-angle glaucoma compared to everyone else. Among the things that we most often think about with why does glaucoma happen are the pressure in the eye. But glaucoma happens at all pressures. So you can have normal pressure or high pressure and have glaucoma. But the higher the pressure is, the more likely you are to have glaucoma. When we talked about the angle, we said that water went out of the eye in a particular location and it comes in in a particular location. So there's a circulation of fluid and in glaucoma patients who have higher than normal eye pressure, the draining area, the trabecular meshwork, is not functioning well enough. The water doesn't get out as well, and that's either because the cells there are dying too quickly or because it gets clogged up with microscopic material. The persons who have glaucoma at more normal pressure don't actually have something wrong with how the water is flowing, but the forces that are generated in the eye by normal eye pressure hurt their nerve cells. And we'll talk about things like the connective tissues in the eye, how the eye is built mechanically, as well as blood flow in the eye. Your blood pressure and blood flow at a microscopic level are very important. I wanted to ask a question about what you consider to be the normal eye pressure or the eye pressure range. Yeah, I think that probably one of the biggest traps that we get into is trying to say something is normal. You know, Wilt Chamberlain wasn't normal, but it worked really well for him to be able to dunk the ball. If you say, I want to measure what's a typical eye pressure in 10,000 people, it varies a little bit with age, but in general, it's an eye pressure that's between 20, 21, 22 and lower and above a very low number, a number like two or three or four. So that's the typical range for the eye pressure in a population, if that's what we mean by normal. Thanks for clarifying that point, because we get asked those things all of the time. Here's what the trap is. The trap, if you have glaucoma, is to say, well, I want to have a normal eye pressure. Or, doctor, how come if my pressure is normal, I still have glaucoma? And we're going to be probably doing a whole podcast on what's called normal pressure glaucoma, because it's one of those very important subjects people need to know about you can have glaucoma even though your eye pressure is normal. So the treatment is to take it from middle of normal to low normal. And that's what we'll talk about then. In terms of epidemiology and the prevalence of open angle glaucoma worldwide, we know that there are 76 million people with this condition. And in the United States alone, there are around 3 million people with open angle glaucoma. The highest concentration of glaucoma is amongst people of African origin. Yeah, it's interesting. You have to take into account how old somebody is in order to know what a concentration would be. So if you say, what number of people have open angle glaucoma? 
because certain groups of people live longer and because glaucoma increases in the population the older you are, if you're in a group of people who live much longer than everybody else, then you're going to have more numbers of persons with glaucoma, with open angle and angle closure glaucoma, in that group of people. But Mona's absolutely right. There are, there's a rate of glaucoma at a certain age among African-derived people that's four times higher than that among Asian or European-derived families. And Harry, another point, is the kind of glaucoma that people of African origin develop, is it about the same in terms of severity as others? The blindness rate from open-angle glaucoma is substantially higher among those of African-American, African derivation. The reasons for that are both biological and socioeconomical. If you can't access care or if you can't afford care, you're much more likely to not do well with glaucoma. So as we'll talk about in later podcasts, there are ways that we can make sure that people, regardless of whether or not they can afford to pay for care, should be able to be taken care of with glaucoma so they don't lose vision. Just now, you had mentioned about eye pressure, and uncontrolled eye pressure is the leading risk factor for glaucoma. Do you agree with that? No, I do, if you define the word controlled, because in any individual person, control might mean taking them from middle of normal to low normal, or it might mean taking them from a high pressure to the normal range or the typical range. So it is by controlling the eye pressure that we know we can dramatically reduce worsening in glaucoma. There are other risk factors, though. We talked about race or derivation. Glaucoma is a disease that is heavily influenced by whether a member of your family has glaucoma. So if you have a first-degree relative, mom or dad, brother or sister, or an adult child that has open-angle glaucoma, you are four times more likely to have open-angle glaucoma. And there are known genes that are associated with that, although we don't have good genetic tests that you're going to be offered in the doctor's office at the present time. There are other things. We talked about how springy your cornea is. Corneal hysteresis, the measurement we can do in the office with a special instrument, gives us an idea about the mechanical strength of the eye. There are other things that we consider risks for glaucoma that actually are the start of the process of glaucoma. For example, when we look in the back of the eye and we look at the optic nerve in a dilated eye examination, we see a structure called the cup. And when the cup is larger, it means that somebody's more likely to have glaucoma. But in many people, the reason why they have that larger cup is that the glaucoma has already started. And the same is true for very small bleeding spots or hemorrhages in the back of the eye. They mean someone is more likely to have glaucoma, and it probably means their glaucoma has already begun the earliest phase of the disease. Talking about the cornea again, I want to mention the term central corneal thickness. So this refers to the rigidity of the front of the eye, which again is called the cornea. In clinics, when you're getting an evaluation, we'll take a little handheld machine and check the thickness of your cornea. The reason why that is so important is that individuals who have a thinner cornea, well, when we measure their eye pressure, we're getting a falsely low reading. And an individual who has a very thick cornea, we could also be getting a falsely high reading for the eye pressure. So we measure the central corneal thickness, also referred to as CCT, in all patients when they come for their initial evaluation. Let's also talk about things that are not risk factors for glaucoma. 
Diabetes has not proven to be a risk factor for this condition. Neither has high blood pressure, except I will say that individuals who have a low diastolic blood pressure, which the diastolic blood pressure, if you look at the equation, it's the number on the bottom. If that runs very low, or an individual has low blood pressure, particularly at night, a condition called nocturnal hypotension, those are things that can put you at risk for progression. Actually, the uh, thing that we might consider also about uh, nighttime is a CPAP machine. People who have sleep apnea are more likely to have open angle glaucoma. And so if you know that your spouse has glaucoma and they are snoring a lot and haven't been properly diagnosed and treated, you can help both their overall health and their glaucoma potentially by getting them properly managed there. And Harry, why is it that individuals who snore at night are at greater risk? Well, they stop breathing. And when you stop breathing, you're not giving oxygen to the main nerves in your brain. And the optic nerve, the thing that gets hurt in glaucoma, is part of your brain. So you want oxygen. These are all points that underscore the fact that it's not just the eye pressure alone that causes glaucoma. Let's talk about the evaluation for open angle glaucoma. For our listeners, you can also refer back to episodes two and three for a more detailed discussion of a glaucoma evaluation and an eye exam. But let's just go over a few things again. When you get an evaluation for glaucoma, we're always going to check your central visual acuity. So those are the numbers that you read on a chart, either with or without glasses. We want to know what your baseline visual acuity is, even though in glaucoma, it's mostly your peripheral vision or the side vision that you start to lose. And the side vision or peripheral vision, we measure with a visual field test, which you will get when you come in for an evaluation. Another thing we're checking are your pupils. So we'll shine a light in both of your pupils, one at a time, and we see how they react. If one of your pupils does not constrict like the other one does, it could indicate that that eye has glaucoma or another optic nerve condition. Intraocular pressure, which you might hear us refer to a lot as IOP, of course we measure that in every patient at every visit. And sometimes we even ask you to stay with us for an entire day and get your eye pressure readings done every hour. Yes, for an entire day. We mentioned the central corneal thickness and the hysteresis, also gonioscopy. Refer back to episode five about gonioscopy and the angle. This is critical in the diagnosis of any form of glaucoma. We're also looking at your optic nerve. Another thing that some doctors might do is to measure your contrast sensitivity. And this is looking at your ability to see variations of light versus dark. So now, Harry, now that we've discussed the evaluation for glaucoma, what are some management techniques? Since the one main known helpful thing to do is to change the eye pressure from where it is at baseline, the pressure that's hurting someone, to a lower pressure, we're going to use one of the three methods of lowering eye pressure. First, in order to set the baseline eye pressure, a good doctor is going to measure the eye pressure more than once. So they may say to you, we're going to treat your glaucoma by starting some therapy, but we want you to come back once or twice more to get us an average idea of what your prevailing eye pressure is now, and that way we'll know if we've actually lowered it when we start treatment. The target range we set, in general, is about 20 or 30% lower than whatever the baseline eye pressure is. We set a lower target pressure, the more damage someone has. But in general, it's about one-third down from whatever the baseline is. And we have three ways of lowering your eye pressure. Taking daily eye drops, that's the most common approach. 
laser treatment as an outpatient that's just under topical anesthesia in the office, and various kinds of surgery for glaucoma. And we'll be dealing with each of those in subsequent podcasts. Here's a question out of our question box for you. When we lower the eye pressure, do patients regain the vision that they've lost? I wish. I look forward to the time, hopefully before I retire, that we're going to stop saying to people, we're really sorry we can't restore any of your vision. We can protect the vision you have. But at the moment to restore vision, we would have to put back in those brain nerve cells that are in your eye that connect to the brain. And while we're doing work in mice and other animals now, so that ultimately we'll have human treatments that do that, we can't do it now. And mentioning this is not to get anyone down. Yes, it's true that we cannot regain the vision that we've lost with glaucoma, but our goal is always to help you preserve the vision that you have, and that is useful functional vision. And Dr. Kaleem is one of the experts on how to help someone manage what vision they have lost to be able to live a normal quality of life. So while doctors will have to say to you, I'm sorry, I can't actually make your vision better, but we can help you to live a normal life with the vision that you have, even though glaucoma has hurt you now. You can totally live a normal, healthy life just with making some modifications. And we'll have an episode dedicated just to that discussion. What is your algorithm for treatment for a glaucoma patient? Well, I sit down and talk to the patient. It's usually about a 10 or 15 minute discussion if we're talking about their first treatment. And we list for them both the benefits and the potential small risks of eye drops, of laser treatment, and of surgery. We just had this conversation with a patient today, and that lady chose first laser treatment. She had heard about a study, and we told her all about it in detail, in which first initial laser treatment was done, and 75% of the people who did that wound up not needing to take drops for a period of three years or so. Would you want that for yourself? Often asked, what would you do, doctor? And we then talked to someone about risk tolerance, because maybe I'm the kind of person who wants to be extremely conservative and do the lowest risk thing. And you know, probably laser treatment is the lowest risk thing that we can do for someone. Unfortunately, it is not always as beneficial as we'd like, and persons still need to take eye drops as well. So my answer to your question is, I'd probably take drops in one eye and have a procedure in the other eye. How do you do the laser and how long does it last for? Oh, the laser treatment's done in the office. And if anybody has had an eye exam, they remember putting their chin and forehead up against a machine and having the doctor look through what looks like a big pair of binoculars. That's how we deliver the laser to the eye with eye drop anesthesia. And you literally don't feel that anything is happening during the treatment. The lady who had that treatment done today came in, had both eyes treated, and against my advice, she drove herself home, but her vision really actually was normal when she left. Now, there are people who say, but I'm really worried about any procedure. After all, when you do a procedure, you do something that's permanent. So we sometimes will offer someone just doing the laser treatment in one eye. And then if it works well, then they almost always want to have it done in the second eye. That's different from a surgical operation in the operating room. There, we never operate on both eyes at the same time, except under very unusual circumstances, such as in very young children. What are the surgical options that you recommend? The established treatment of open-angle glaucoma as an initial therapy 
is most often operations that lower the eye pressure by letting fluid out of the eye. And those are trabeculectomy or tube shunt surgery. We also have some newer procedures. They're very promising, but they have just been approved by the FDA to be used in the last two or three or four years. Now, if you're the sort of person who says, I'm real interested in one of those newer procedures, I think that's what I'd like to have, then we present them all those choices. And right now there's a, an alphabet soup of those new procedures. If they say, no, I want the one you've been doing for the last 15 years because you know how it comes out 15 or 20 years from now, then we were more likely to do the more standard operations. Again, I'm going to ask you another hard question, which is which of those surgeries would you want for yourself? It depend on what my actual situation is at the present time. If I had significant glaucoma with significant damage to the eye, it would either be a trabeculectomy or a tube shunt operation, and that would depend upon what the eye pressure was that I wanted to achieve. We know that in a recent study that compared trabeculectomy and tube shunt surgery, both did very well with people who'd never had surgery before on their eye for glaucoma. But when the eye pressure needed to be made quite low, the trabeculectomy was better. When it started very high and only needed to be reduced moderately down to the top of normal, the tube shunt surgery was actually uh, as good or better. And they each have some very small rates of complications that are somewhat different between the two and that we ought to talk about in another podcast. It's different for everyone. So have a very frank discussion with your doctor about the risks, benefits, and all of the different options that you're eligible for, or if you're doing okay with medications, or if you could just benefit from a laser. But certainly, there's nothing to be scared of with surgery. In terms of prognosis, how do most patients do? If we look at all persons who have open-angle glaucoma, the vast majority of patients are going to get to the end of their life still able to read the newspaper. Are there still newspapers? Um, yeah, I think there are. They'll still be able to look at their iPad. About 5%, one out of 20 glaucoma patients wind up unfortunately visually impaired and blind. So that means that 95% still have at least one good eye for reading and doing activities that are normal and driving. But about 15% lose one eye. When we look at who those folks are, they're very often people who unfortunately had a late diagnosis. There already was damage at the time that they were first diagnosed. And so early diagnosis is extremely important. The other thing that happens to lead people to lose vision is not following the program. Hearing that you have glaucoma and not coming back for exams. Hearing that you need to take medicine every day and unfortunately not adhering with therapy. There's a podcast for us. Next, please stay tuned for our episode on angle closure glaucoma. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, your mom says take your drops. 